At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way It's time to name the neglect from typical food advice. Welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Hosted by me, Julie Duffy Dillon. I'm a registered dietitian with 20 years of experience partnering with folks just like you on their food peace journey. What have we learned? Well, cookie cutter approaches exclude too many people and you don't need to be fixed. It's not you. It's not me. It's all of us. Only together, we can start a movement and fix diet culture. And we will. Let's begin with now. And welcome to episode 274 of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. Thanks for connecting today. And I have a bit of a rant I need to share with you. It has to do with those of you who are wanting to connect with ways to reject diets. Maybe you're recovering from an eating disorder. Maybe you're just sick and tired of dieting. Or maybe you've connected with like, oh my gosh, diets are oppressive to whole groups of people. Whatever the reason, I think you deserve access to it. Even if, yes, even if you are living with a chronic illness. So this is something that can be quite controversial. Yes, it can be, especially at dietitian conferences I go to. 
Like who can actually do intuitive eating? Can you reject diets if you get diagnosed with diabetes or fatty liver disease? Can you do this? Yes, yes, you can. <laughs> so I want to share with you the reasons. I am very opinionated on this. And so I'm going to be sharing that. And, 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 and I'm also sharing a new segment for the podcast. I told you there's going to be new faces and also new segments on the podcast and something that I am doing now with Yelly Cruz. Yelly, you got to hear from on the last um, Find Your Food Voice podcast, episode 273. Yelly is our local book fiend on the podcast, um, loves books, loves reading, reads so fast and so many. She has the best book recommendations. Um, well, we are starting a new segment on the podcast where we do book reviews, especially fat positive books. And we chose Get a Life Chloe Brown because, well, I mean, it's kind of cliche but this is being released in February. And who doesn't love a good love story in February? Well, everyone deserves to have great sex, especially if you live in a higher weight body and experience chronic illness, which is the whole premise of this book. Well, I don't know if that's really the whole premise, but it's an important one because we don't see that represented enough, do we? So stick around for the end of the podcast to hear my discussion with Yelly. But first, we are going to discuss why people with living with chronic illness deserve access to intuitive eating and all the other anti-diet tools out there. But before we get to that, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you ready to divorce that dumpster fire that is your PCOS diet? Are you hoping to do intuitive eating but feel stumped because you have PCOS? Well, I am here to tell you there is another way. Yes, there is. You have been neglected far too long by the PCOS healthcare system. I know they're pushing you to diet, but I have found ways to help you navigate this condition and help you to feel more powerful living with PCOS. So I have been doing a PCOS course for years and years. It was called PCOS and Food Peace. I closed the doors back in November because I wanted to redo the whole thing. I've learned a lot in the last 20 years. And so I have put together something that basically I've heard that people with PCOS feel hopeless and also powerless. So this course, it's called PCOS Power because there is a way for you to take back expert control of your body and feel at home there again. So PCOS Power is coming soon. It's coming in March. And if you would like to be on the wait list, go to juliedillonrd.com. There you can download my PCOS roadmap. It gives you the first three steps toward food peace with PCOS. And by downloading that roadmap, it also puts you on the wait list. Being on the wait list means that you'll be the first to know when all the details drop for PCOS power. So go to juliedillonrd.com, grab that PCOS roadmap, and you'll be on the wait list. And I can't wait to share with you in March, PCOS power is going to kick ass. And I think you're going to love it. Did you know that every time you listen to an ad on this podcast, you help cover the cost of producing Find Your Food Voice? Thank you to our sponsor, Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense. Because of them, my team and I can continue our independent podcast. 
Equilibria is a women-owned wellness brand with unique science-backed products that help bring your mind and back my mind and body back into harmony. EQ's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense is a three-in-one capsule that supports your digestive health and promotes gut barrier protection. It also promotes optimal vaginal pH. These probiotics were chosen because they are studied for women's health. And I love that you can subscribe. So if you find that Equilibria's Daily Women's Microbiome Defense helps you, you can subscribe so you don't have to think twice about running out and also save 25% off. I just started taking the Equilibria Daily Women's Microbiome Defense after a trip overseas that made my GI tract kind of funky. I am hoping that it helps make things just a little bit easier, easing back in. And also as a woman, as a woman in midlife, I'm always looking for ways to help with vaginal pH. If you are not in midlife yet, just be aware. It's a thing that is around the corner for you. So head to myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code FOODVOICE at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. All right, let's get back to the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, let's get back to the episode. Do you remember the first time you heard about intuitive eating? Or maybe the first time you read the book Anti-Diet? Or it even could have been the first time you listened to an episode of my podcast, previously known as the Love Food Podcast. You know, these tools, these are just three of many that people connect with. That is the kind of invitation into a life without restrictive eating, without dieting, without food rules and regulations. Do you remember the first time you connected with it? Do you remember how you felt? Many people have reported that it was exciting. It was glorious. It was magical. It felt like freedom. Finally, another option. And especially intuitive eating, the method that was developed by Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Resch back in the 90s, because of the tools that were developed to support intuitive eating, and I guess they came up with an intuitive eating scale and things like that to be able to use in research settings, they've been able to show hundreds of times in research how it is something that promotes health is sustainable, helps with recovery, yada, yada, yada. It does amazing things. And there's a big but that comes in the way for many people. And that's what my rant is about now. I have talked to so many people who 
have been doing intuitive eating work or recovering from their eating disorder or doing any of those other tools that are in the bucket of anti-diet. But then they are diagnosed with diabetes or fatty liver disease or PCOS. There's other ones too, but those are the three big ones that I've worked the most with. And these three chronic conditions and any chronic disease can often be the wedge and sadly a pivot away from intuitive eating for many people. And that diagnosis for many people is the block because they think they can no longer do this anti-diet work anymore. Somehow it's been twisted around that rejecting diets is only for people who don't have any other health conditions or health concerns, question mark, question mark. Somehow that has happened. I have my guesses as to why. One is because intuitive eating was something that really was uh, clung to in, in eating disorder recovery circles early on. It was something I know as an eating disorder clinician, I quickly learned about and um, infused, my, infused my sessions with right away because I wanted people to start connect, to connect with those kinds of tools and vocabulary. And so somehow I think intuitive eating got connected to just eating disorder recovery, which is great, but anti-diet frameworks are for every human being because it's not just people who are recovering from eating disorders that have complicated relationships with food. We all have a complicated relationship with food because we are all living in diet culture. All of us are breathing in the air that tells us that fat bodies are not okay, that they're less than, that being thinner is better. Like those are things that we all are brought up around. And for many people, I'm hoping not you, but for many people, they're not even aware that that is something that's just a constant kind of whispering going on in the back of their of their head. May even be louder than a whisper for some people, of course, too. These anti-diet tools are designed for every human, including those who are diagnosed with a chronic disease. I have worked with a fair share of people, though, with chronic diseases who are struggling with permission to reject diets. And I've been kind of trying to formulate in my brain why this happens. But besides just thinking it's not meant for people with chronic disease, I also think anti-diet work oftentimes does not have the conversation included that includes health. And when someone is trying to pursue health, then that means they can no longer reject diets, which I'm going to talk about in a second why that is just ridiculous. And then also, if someone doesn't have a chronic disease, well, they don't have anything serious going on. And if you have a chronic disease, then this is serious. I need to buckle down. That's so many times. That's what people would bring to me when they were diagnosed with fatty liver or diabetes or PCOS. Like, I can't fuck around anymore. I have to buckle down. I have to get serious. And this impression that, you know, now with a chronic illness, you need to try harder. You need to work harder. You can no longer take the, quote, easy route. I hope you know these are all things I don't support, but this is just what people have brought to me. There's something else that I've noticed too, 
One, someone that I would be working with individually was experiencing a new diagnosis, like the ones I mentioned, like PCOS, fatty liver, or diabetes, or any other kind of chronic illness. There was often this kind of sequence of experiences that really pushed them to go towards diet culture. And I wonder if you have chronic illness or know someone who has one, if you have seen this too. But initially, of course, there's like this paralysis and deep, deep fear of death. And, you know, dieting, part of its premise is that it is a tool so we don't die, which is really messed up because like, I don't know who said this, but some teacher along the way said to me, Julie, none of us are getting out of here alive. None of us. Even dieting can't save us. And I have even more to say about how dieting is actually something that's making us more unhealthy, but I'll pause on that for a second. But yes, there's this kind of promise to dieting when a person's in that paralysis and fear state, that initial trauma of getting diagnosed with something really big and probably lifelong, there's this kind of seduction that's really easy to slide into. And diet culture is like, come on over. I'll protect you. I'll help you get better. And we do know that short-term studies with any chronic illness show that dieting does something. It does something magical. It, um, you know, I know fatty liver and diabetes and PCOS really well, but I know short-term dieting helps lower insulin. It helps lower blood sugar. It helps lower inflammation. It does all those things, which are fabulous for those three conditions. But we know also that long-term, that's not supported. Long-term, if anything, Dieting, whether you stay on a diet or not, but just chronically being connected to dieting, has a causal relationship with a higher A1C, a higher insulin level, higher blood sugar, higher blood pressure, higher inflammation. Like it literally causes these things to be worse, not better. And I do find it to be a hard sell though, because <laughs> dieting, again, in the short term, it's like, bam, oh my gosh. My inflammation markers are down. This is so fabulous. Or, oh, my A1C went down points, whole percentage points. And, you know, when pers a person's initially diagnosed with a chronic condition, usually they're getting more consistent kind of care closer together. And if a person's starting to diet, of course, they're going to see these favorable things. And as people move away from that initial trauma that came from the, the diagnosis and things are looking more stable, a doctor will often just see a person once a year. And then as a person either continues to diet or starts to diet less or is kind of on and off, or if they reject diet culture and they're recovering the relationship with food, all of those scenarios are connected in the two-year mark with increasing A1C and blood sugar and all that stuff. It's when you move further out that anti-diet tools like intuitive eating start to look really great. <laughs> um, it starts to show that, oh, there's less weight cycling, there's less inflammation, there's a lower A1C, lower blood sugar, all those other things. It's a hard sell though, because that's years in the making. 
And dieting promises this kind of initial kind of burst of happiness and um, hope, but it's totally full of shit. (laughs) Um, I wanted to mention something too. One in particular of those diagnoses that I was talking about, PCOS, diabetes, and fatty liver. Fatty liver is one that seems to be particularly traumatic for people. And um, if you're not too aware of PCOS, people with PCOS also can get diagnosed with diabetes. It's like uh, 50% of people with PCOS get diabetes by the time they're 40. And then one in four people with PCOS end up experiencing fatty liver. So fatty liver is um, disease is, is something that I've had a lot of experience with working with people one-on-one. And it does seem to be particularly traumatic. I guess it's because it's the liver. And, you know, connecting with someone who specializes in helping the liver can be really complicated and intimidating. And of course, there's the same push to diet. And it's scary as fuck. But what I have read in the research is just like all the other diet research, fatty liver disease management and dieting falls short. The only intervention outside of like medications and supplements and things that seems to have anything that's particularly helpful is consistent movement. And I need to tell you, of course, what that actually means, because it doesn't mean like um, duration. So it doesn't matter how long a person's moving their body. It does not matter how intense they're moving in their body and does not matter the frequency. It's just consistency. And in particular, there's been a research study that looked at people with fatty liver disease five years for five years. And that's what they found. The one behavior modification that can help is just consistent movement. It does not matter if it's, you know, 15 minutes or longer than that. It's really just having consistency. It does not need to be intense, just consistent. So I know for many people coming to that feels realistic. It also doesn't feel like, quote, enough, but it's really wonderful to actually have this research to be able to deliver to someone to show like, hey, this is something we're seeing. This is maybe something you can experiment with. And and it's not something that needs to be drastic. You don't need to do this black and white thing. You don't need to punish yourself for getting diagnosed with a chronic condition. I do think that's a part of why intuitive eating work feels inaccessible with chronic disease is because we as a culture punish people with chronic disease. We tell them that they need to try harder and they don't get a lot of support. And it's not okay. <laughs> because if you are living with a chronic condition, you deserve equal access to recovery from your eating disorder, recovery from diet culture. You deserve equal access to tools that will help you defy diet culture. You also deserve access to permission unconditional permission to eat and access to pleasure. People with chronic illness, and this may be you, you deserve these anti-diet tools. They are also for you. I also appreciate that there are some people who are talking about this and also living with chronic illness that are particularly helpful. 
Two people in particular that I really learn a lot from are Laura Burns, who on Instagram is um, at Radical Body Love, and also Anna Sweeney, who on Instagram is Dietitian Anna. Those are two people who talk a lot about chronic illness, living with chronic illness, and also rejecting diet culture, and also naming how that can be really hard and tempting to get seduced by diets because it can feel really hopeful. And living with chronic illness, I know that's something that you want to connect with too, is hope. All right. So I think my rant is about over, yet I want to continue the discussion in a different way. I have a new segment on the podcast that includes a book club that I'm doing with Yelly Cruz. Have you met Yelly yet? Oh my gosh, she's fabulous. I interviewed Yelly and she shared her own Dear Food letter on the last um, Find Your Food Voice podcast, episode 273. And Yelly is my production assistant assistant for this podcast. And she was previously the production assistant for the She's All Fat podcast. She is our book fiend who loves, loves, loves reading fat positive stories. And we are going to chat next on a book that includes a discussion on chronic illness. The book name is Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. And as you'll hear in my discussion with Yelly up next, I have 40 more pages. She said, (laughs) Yelly mentioned that that was the favorite part of her book. So I want to go and uh, sign off now so I can finish it. I am dying to see how this ends. This is such a fun read because I think it does a great job showing how those of you with chronic illness deserve to have pleasure. You deserve to have permission to be and to get the rest you need and people around you who are supporting you to do that and see how necessary that is. All right. Well, without further ado, here is my discussion with Yelly Cruz about the book, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. Hey, Yelly. Nice to see you. Hey, Julie. Um, And nice to talk to you, too, in case you're listening and not seeing (laughs) us. But anyway, um, I'm excited to talk about this book and remind the listeners what the book is that was chosen for this this episode. We read um, Get a Life, Chloe Brown by Talia Hibbert. Um, it's a book where what I posted on our Instagram and then also whenever I post on the She's All Fat Instagram, mm-hmm. everybody constantly recommends this book um, and like the trilogy, which is very Ooh, fun. And there's a trilogy. There is. There's two more, <laughs> which I can talk about as well. Um, okay, good. <laughs> But so before we dive into our questions, I will go ahead and read the blurb for the book. Yeah, be perfect. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. Chloe Brown is a chronically ill computer geek with a goal, a plan, and a list. After almost but not quite dying, she comes up with seven directives to help her get a life. And she's already completed the first, finally moving out of her glamorous family's mansion. The next items, enjoy a drunken night out, ride a motorcycle, go camping, have meaningless but thoroughly enjoyable sex, travel the world with nothing but hand luggage, and dot, 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 do something (laughs) bad. (laughs) But it's not easy being bad even when you've written step-by-step guidelines on how to do it correctly. What Chloe needs is a teacher, and she knows just the man for the job. 
Redford Red Morgan is a handyman with tattoos, a motorcycle, and more sex appeal than 10,000 Hollywood heartthrobs. He's also an artist who paints at night and hides his work in the light of day, which Chloe knows because she spies on him occasionally, just the teeniest, tiniest bit. But when she enlists Red in her mission to rebel, she learns things about him that no spy session could teach her, like why he clearly resents Chloe's wealthy background and why he never shows his art to anyone, and what really lies beneath his rough exterior. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, and when we were like sifting through the choices, I know a lot of people recommended this book, but this one stood out for a couple of different reasons. And, you know, thinking about the listener and like just having options to read about different characters the thing that stood out to me was not only was this a higher weight black woman, but also with a chronic illness. And, mm-hmm. um, and the thing that when I was like looking at buying it and like, you know, as we we're trying to decide what book to read, the thing that all the reviews, not all of them, a lot of the reviews were like, this was kick-ass. I love this book. But then there were many reviews that were kind of like, poo-pooing it because there was like so much sex in it and so when really yeah and I was like when I read it I was actually expecting it to be like pornographic and it it wasn't I don't know so I that just made me kind of pause too of like I wonder about I don't know if I'm digging too deep in this but like I wonder about because this was a different type of character um having Mm -hmm. great sex if that made it feel more like sexual you know in a sense um but I don't know that's the one thing I wanted to like share and reaction just even like the beginning like going into it I was expecting it to be even more like raunchy (laughs) although it was like very spicy (laughs) (laughs) what did you think well that's funny because I don't know if you remember but when I brought this book up I kind of was like are we allowed to read books with sex in it like (laughs) is that okay and you're like yes bring it on um Yes. But yes, I, we've already talked about this a little bit, just the two of us, but I loved that there was great sex in it. And it's the first book that I've read with that much explicit sexual content. But you've mentioned this before. It's like so important for that representation to be in the book because like fatter people who are non-white are allowed to have great sex and like feel sexy and be sexy and all that great stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important to like have connection to pleasure in all its different ways. Like it's a part mm-hmm. of being human, you know. And um, you know, I talk about about like food and stuff like that, but I feel like our relationship with food has this kind of um mirror image with how we are connecting with other things. And for so many people with chronic illness so many fat people and that all maybe also have a chronic illness. I think they're often told they can't have a pleasurable relationship with food. And so, yeah, I think it trickles down to even to like things like sex, you know, or just like devoid of those things. And that's kind of becomes okay. Um, and it's not. <laughs> and so having a relationship with food that you can challenge and connect with pleasure, you may find also then starts to, go into other areas, which that is something with Chloe Brown in this book. Um, She was talking about um, starting to challenge things. And like, 
you know, she was starting to take some risks with Red, the the hot guy <laughs> in the story, and um, heartthrob, yeah. heartthrob, and um, he like as she was like taking some risks, you know, she was someone previously that didn't have a lot of relationships. You know, she got really burned, and people really rejected her because of chronic illness. And I won't I won't spoil it, but there was like an opportunity for a new friendship, and she kind of just was like, nah. But then as she was taking some more risks, she was like, oh, maybe I'll take this one too. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, that totally reminds me of when people like challenge their food choices and like eat something that may be like off limits. And then they, they do eat it and they're like, oh, okay. I can see how this is okay. And then it kind of starts to trickle into other areas of their life, which is just so fucking fantastic. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I also love, I just love Chloe. I think that there's, uh-huh. there, so there's three books and they're about Chloe, Eve, and Danny. Like oh, each of them sisters. are about one of the sisters. Yeah. But Chloe is my favorite because she, I just love how neurotic she is. Like she's <laughs> the one that I relate to the most. <laughs> and I love that she changes a lot in the book in terms of taking risks and feeling more sure of herself and all that mm-hmm. good stuff. But she doesn't change as a person. Like she still mm-hmm. loves her lists and loves her, mm-hmm. loves her cat and the food and the, all mm-hmm. of the parts that make her who she is are still there. Um, yeah. I loved that. Yeah. I also love, um, I love that her sisters just like fully support her and our understanding of her fibromyalgia and, um, I love how that plays into her relationship with Red as well, because he is very caring and just mm-hmm. like a very caring partner. Um, but yeah, in terms of that, what did you think about that uh, representation of that chronic illness in the book? So I was really impressed with how the author showed um, a potential partner reacting to like the chronic illness and the awareness of it. And honestly, it reminded me a lot of uh, my fat friends who have helped me to like understand what it's like to navigate like restaurants and just going into different spaces. And like the questions have to make sure that like it'll be accessible. And that's just not something that I have to like think about, but I need to because I want to hang out with my friends, you know, and something that happened in there. This was one of my favorite parts of it was like um, he had Red had been in her apartment and noticed that she had like a really nice, like cushy chair in our kitchen, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. And then in his place, he had like a stool that was like, not going to be accessible. And he like got that. He's like, oh, this is not okay. And, And that was a part of how he like, kind of, it seemed like he just naturally navigated toward it's like, oh, like, let's make sure that um, I ask the questions I need to ask and um, have a way to promote ease in this situation because I want to be with her, you know, and mm-hmm. and um, I want to be with her as she is right now, you know, not just when she's like feeling well, but also I want to be with her all the time. I just thought that was so cute. And then um, the other part too, when he like walked into her apartment and saw it all messy with like recycling boxes everywhere and I know for me when I was reading and I was like, oh, I, I was kind of like picturing, I, I think I was making judgments about Chloe being like a mess, you know, and mm, sure. just, you know, not having her shit together. And he took it as like, oh, she may not be doing well right now. And I was like, oh. yeah, 
that's well and he was like if you need the recycling taken down like let me know that's my job as your superintendent yeah that's right we did mention that he was also like the superintendent (laughs) of the building (laughs) scandalous (laughs) I know Um, but yeah I thought that was like really someone who like I have um, I have lots of uh, what's the word Um, I'm able-bodied you know it's not something Mm -hmm. that I struggle with Um, I don't struggle with a chronic illness like fibromyalgia like it was a really good model to be like oh these are the things that one can do when they have someone in their life that's experiencing a chronic illness and and again Mm -hmm. it just like flowed naturally for for him and um, and you know one thing that he brought up that kind of goes in this conversation that I wish they would have spent more time on was like his reaction or his experiences with classism. I don't know if you, um, mm, yeah. if you noticed that part too, but um, that was something that like made his character kind of more complex too. Um, just mm-hmm. never experiencing, I don't know. How, I don't know what his like upbringing was like, but it sounds like he was not um, in a space where he always had enough, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that part too. Yes. Well, and then, he um part of the reason why he and Chloe really dislike each other at the beginning is because he was in a past abusive relationship yeah. with a woman who was mm-hmm. rich and who mm-hmm. reminded him a lot of Chloe at first glance um and yeah I think that that's I hadn't thought about that that's interesting that you bring it up but there's a lot of kind of we see a lot of his perspective shifting in terms of him uh I guess realizing and being like, oh, Chloe has a lot of money, but she's not uh, like toxic in that way in or um, breaking down like his preconceptions of her because of her money. But it would have been interesting to see it more the other way around as well of her going, oh, like, I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to get at? Like, I think so. uh, Like, also breaking her own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like we didn't hear much about her reaction to that. Although like there were some things that I, I could get the sense that she was stereotyping of like, he's this bad boy, he rides a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And um, I wonder if that was kind of lumped together, but, but yeah, that would have been interesting if that was like just even dug deeper. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, full disclosure, I still have 40 more pages to go. So I don't know how it's going to end. And I told Yelly before we <laughs> recorded, like, don't tell me the ending. I want no spoilers. Um, Cause I don't know, like there may be some of that that comes up that, you know, I still need to get to. Um, one other thing though about the chronic illness, I'm gonna see if I can find the the part. I underlined it because I was like, ooh, that is so good. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going through the pages. I had a green highlighter. Where'd you go, green highlighter? Oh, there it is. Okay, so this has to do with like sex, pleasure, and chronic illness. And this is from Red's point of view. Um, he um this is what the author wrote. He was probably the worst kind of monster because Chloe was sick, but he still thought she was unbelievably sexy. Then he remembered that she was always sick. So maybe poor health wasn't something that should de-sex a person. And he said, definitely mm. couldn't de-sex Chloe. Like it was a part of her identity. And like, it's also, I was like, it was so cool how you saw this or saw how we read that this character was, um, like loved Oliver, including her experiences with chronic illness. And like, yeah, you know, he was like, I'm taking Oliver, not just the times when she feels good. And which was like mm-hmm. the experience that Chloe described. And I'm, I'm 
I'm guessing people who are listening that experience chronic illness can totally relate to like just fair weather friends or when things are hard, sometimes people just not getting it and not giving you what you need, but hopefully there's lots more reds out there. (laughs) Yeah. I also, I loved that the representation, like the portrayal of the chronic illness wasn't toxic positivity either. Like there's several times in the book where Chloe just absolutely veges the whole day and is like, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm going to sit in my cushion and sleep for eight hours and be high on my drugs. And Mm -hmm. that's just the way it is. Um, Or there's even one part in the book where she goes, I, she like acknowledges that she shouldn't be taking her, uh, like, I can't remember what the name for the medicine is, but like the painkiller patch on her body or whatever. Yes. But then she's like, I am in too much pain. I'm just going to do it because it's what I need in this moment right now. Yes. Um, it was like an opiate and I really, type of medication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I really loved that it wasn't a, um, like everything will be okay. <laughs> yes. Blah, blah, blah. Like, or you know, cut like out she gluten just, instead of exactly. using painkillers. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, no. you know she's just like, she took her drugs and had her soft blankets and mm-hmm. just, you know. Mm. Yeah. I think I not experiencing a chronic illness. I was identifying more with red in those times, but like, I wonder someone who's experiencing fibromyalgia or similar chronic illness, if that, like what that's like to read someone, you know, basically giving themselves permission to mm-hmm. rest, you know, exactly. that's, and using the medications that they need. Um, yeah. Cause something like pain, if you don't catch it like right early on, then it doesn't matter. Then the pain medication won't work. So, um, and I, yeah, there's so much, you know, the, of course, like the chronic illness I know the most about is polycystic ovarian syndrome. And there's so much in that like conversation of like, well, I'm going to help my PCOS without medication. And that makes me holier than thou. And like, I'm, you know, that's just the better way to do it. And I say it like that because like, there may be some people who can, you know, do that, but there's also no shame in using medication. And for some people, it's Mm -hmm. like the only way they could like go to work um, or be able to like stand upright. I'm thinking mostly with like birth control pills or um, metformin or things like that. And they're definitely like stigmatized. So yeah, that's, that's something I didn't think about reading this is like how, um, Chloe was really basically just like that. I have to do this. This is just part of my, I need it. And there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. And I wonder if that mm-hmm. like was a long road for her to get to that point or if it always just was that way, you know, it's like if she felt yeah. bad in the beginning, taking like pain meds and stuff like that. Yeah. Know. Well, her also like her story is so, uh, upsetting of her like developing the fibro and then all of her friends just not understanding it and leaving Mm -hmm. her and that's part of why as well she you mentioned that she has a hard time reaching out and like making friendships and it's because of that uh the trauma of all those people leaving and Mm -hmm. that part in the book always just like hits me so hard and makes me feel for her so much Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah yeah. it's scary to think about yeah because she was even going to get married right and Mm -hmm. then everyone just just left. Yeah. Couldn't handle it. Totally. Oh, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And <laughs> what a like wonderful, like 
like repair kind of experience for her to like experience relationship and hopefully more, you know, with the, the friend that she started reaching out to, like, I'm hoping then, yeah, there's more of like a repair with like humanity, (laughs) like not everyone's an asshole and um, people can take more than just those initial people. Um, Did you have a favorite part of the book? My, oh gosh. Do you have a favorite part? I, I did really like that scene where Red was like walking through the house, his house and her house and just noticing the differences and like framing it as Mm -hmm. like, oh, this is because of the chronic illness and like almost like taking note of um, her way of communicating. She has unmet needs, you know, (laughs) and um, I really liked that. Um, And, you know, there's like so many other little tiny things like throughout. It's so hard for me to pick like a favorite too. I have to say, like, whenever I do a Likert scale, I can never pick like, you know, if it's on a scale of one to five, I can never pick a one Mm -hmm. or five. (laughs) I love it. So, but yeah, what about you? Was there anything in particular that stood out? My favorite part is the ending of the book. I think my favorite part is like the 40 pages you haven't read yet. (laughs) Oh gosh, um, but I'm gonna hang up. So I'll definitely it. like text you later and be like, <laughs> did you read it? What did you think of it? Um from from the rest of the book, I think my favorite part is when they go on their kind of like first uh, date that's not really a date, but when they go to the bar and then the art uh yes. gallery. I love yes. that section. It's very sweet. That is very sweet. Although I was really confused. It takes me a while to catch on to like what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, in the art gallery. So if you haven't read it, you'll know what we mean when we get there. But just like what the guy in the turtleneck, I didn't understand. Oh, yeah. It took me a little bit to kind of get it. Um, but yeah, well, we need to wrap up. But is there anything, any other parting words that you're hoping to communicate about the book before we sign off? Um, let me see. Yes, I was also thinking, um, it is important to note as well that I'm sure the story would look completely different if Chloe wasn't wealthy. Like Chloe Mm. does hold so much privilege in the sense Mm -hmm. that she can work from home and be in blankets all day and miss a day of work and be fine financially. Or like she has access to painkillers and medication and all of this stuff. So, and it was a great story, but it would be different if she didn't have all of those Mm -hmm. uh privileges yeah yeah for majority of people that's what they're experiencing it's not Mm -hmm. it's not what she was yeah because um at the beginning she was like living in this like glamorous like huge mansion with her family and just really wanted to get out and being able to do that yeah that's a lot of a lot of access that she experienced but it also like it, to me, though, it was also really cool to read about a person with her identities that was just rich, you know, and yeah. and not um, struggling. Um, it was just neat to read it in that kind of way. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, that would be so much harder. Like, what if you actually had to still go to work and feeling a fibro flare? Um, and I know in the U.S. for a lot of people, fibro is like a condition that people need to be on disability and just like getting to the point to be on disability, to be able to um, be able to get those warm snuggly days under the covers, you know, yeah, um, and still be able to have like food to eat and things like that. So that's a really good point. Yeah. I'm wondering what the listeners think too, you know, what, 
what it, what was their favorite part? Anything that they wish was included more or less? Let us know. Yes. And I can't <laughs> wait to talk about our next book. Um, we'll have more details on that. But thanks, Yelly, for your um, picking this book, first of all. And, um, you know, we've intentionally picked this super saucy um spicy one because of course it's february and we love cliches and it's right before valentine's day so um pick it up and enjoy (laughs) i'm glad you you too i'm glad you liked it (laughs) i did Thanks for joining me today. I hope you got some really important information for you as it relates to chronic illness and intuitive eating. And also, I want to know what you think about the book, Get a Life, Chloe Brown. As you heard, Yelly and I really enjoyed it. It was a fun read and also a lot of pleasure. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and finish those last 40 pages. But before I sign off, if you enjoyed this episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast, I would love it if you left a rating or review, subscribed or shared an episode. You can share it to a friend in a text message or a coworker, maybe even your dietitian or therapist. Doing any of those acts of kindness really helps the show grow. This episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast was brought to you by my PCOS Power course coming in March. I would love to see you on the wait list. Get to it at juliedillonrd.com and you will also get access to a free download. It is my PCOS roadmap. I hope it helps you as you are living with this chronic condition PCOS and I can't wait to share with you PCOS Power. It is going to be amazing. All right, until next time, take care. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Ready to join the anti-diet movement and take the Food Voice pledge? Go to julieduffydillon.com and sign your name to the growing list of people saying no to diets and yes to their own food voice. The Find Your Food Voice podcast is produced by me, Julie Duffy Dillon, and my team of kick-ass folks. I couldn't make the show without Yelly Cruz, assistant producer and resident book feed, and Colleen Brebner, customer service coordinator and professional hype master. Audio editing is from Toby Lyles at 24 Sound. Music is Fly Free by Hartley. Are you looking for episode transcripts? Get them at julieduffydillon.com, where you can also submit letters for the podcast, give us feedback, and sign the Food Voice Pledge. We need your voice to end diet culture. We literally can't do this without you. Subscribe to the Find Your Food Voice podcast to get weekly inspiration and education on how we can defeat diet culture and reclaim our own food voice. I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.